decaf for Ryland here on in. <laughs> Proudly <laughs> presented by Strickland Propane. Taste the meat, not the heat. Strickland Propane. Uh, I am Ryland Grant, not James T. Kirk. Uh, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... Uh, I am James T. Kirk, captain of the Starship. No. David Avalone, uh, filmmaker, comic book writer, coffee achiever, uh, drunken reprobate. Love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, John Lehman, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it out. Uh, but as always, we have a great show for you today. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and bring the guests on. Huh? Absolutely. DJ Kirkbride. And Hello. Holly Interlandi. Hello. Howdy, howdy. DJ, tell us a little about yourself and uh, the movement, your apostles, all of it. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I am DJ Kirkbride. Uh, I, uh, in comics, I, I've written or co-written uh, books like uh, Amelia Cole and um, Never Ending and The Once and Future Queen with my good friend and writing partner, Adam P. Nave. And, Artist Nick Brokenshire and uh, and Robert Love, and then I've also uh, written The Bigger Bang and The Biggest Bang and uh, Errand Boys with Vasily Gogzilas and Nikos Kosis, respectively. And I hope to write more, but we'll see. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> As do we all. And Holly. Hello, I'm Holly. I uh, I'm a writer of uh, various things, comic books like Lost Song. I was editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland for ten years. Um, I am a alien dog mom. My dog thinks you're insane, by the way, Ryland. He <laughs> was very disturbed a minute ago. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Well, the the topic for today is going to be conventions. And I was thinking about that. Um, I didn't actually realize this when I booked both of you, but I met both of you at conventions. Like I literally would only, I only know you because of conventions. Holly, you were interviewing Eastman at That's right. a San Diego Comic-Con for Famous Monsters. Uh, and I was standing off to the side. We met then. And DJ, I think, just stopped by your booth, man. Like, I think it was as, as simple as that. Uh, just walked by and introduced myself and said hi. Uh, and we've been friends since. So the topic we want to talk about is, you know, conventions in general. But, like, A, are, how badly are you missing them? It, and... I'm not is a perfectly acceptable answer. And B, how do you feel about going back? If indeed we are. Uh, Holly, why don't you kick us off? Um, well, it's difficult for me because my entire experience with conventions is work. Like conventions are work to me. Um, I have rarely, if ever, gotten to hang out with other creators after after conventions at the bar. Um, you know, I've never been a special guest, so I've never been put up at a swank hotel, you know, yeah. so I've never had that experience either. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's conventions, and especially San Diego, mean a week of no sleep. Sure. Uh, and backbreaking work. So the first the first year that, that, that um, that my publisher shut FM down and I, I was actually, I mean, of course I was horribly depressed about it, but, but then I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute, 
I don't have to go to Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... I totally get I that. Say I'm missing conventions. I mean, they're enjoyable because it is like all about networking and and I know everyone there. Like I think you know, every time I go to San Diego, I'm like, I know you and you and you and you and it's it's that's kind of fun. But I'm also an introvert and large crowds kind of intimidate me. So, I don't know. I'm 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 kind of okay with not going to cons right now. <laughs> that is that is totally totally fair. I will say that uh, right, like literally the year before I became a professional comic book writer, I went to San Diego and on the drive home, that horrible nightmare drive home <laughs> up the up the five freeway that no matter how you try to get around it, it's almost impossible to duck out of. I remember saying to my wife, you know, I'm good. We don't have to go to this ever. That was great. It was fun. But we don't have to do this again. We do this every year. It's a lot of work. It's a... It's money much better spent going to a foreign country on vacation. Like if you had told me that I'm going to spend a couple of thousand dollars a year on a vacation in San Diego, <laughs> I would punch you in the face and call you a liar. Because why on hell? Why in hell would I ever do that? San Diego, the garden spot of the Southwest? Like no. But then I became a comic book writer and then it became much more about seeing friends and colleagues and about networking and all that kind of thing. But uh, DJ, what, what's your perspective on it? You know, my, my perspective is um, evolving <laughs> quite a bit, especially recently. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I've, I've been in, I mean, when I first started going to conventions, it was just a joy, like kind of, I was wide eyed. And my first couple of experiences, like after I had, worked on a book um, was at San Diego and I was at the image booth because the book I helped edit was an image book. And I basically just crashed with like the co-editor, you know, <laughs> so I was like staying in his image paid hotel room at the Omni or something. It was like super nice. It was like, what? This is amazing. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And, and every other time that I've gone, it's been some variation of fun, but also a lot of work, very tiring. Um, it's interesting. I kind of went from loving them and, and, and loving to go going to them to kind of getting a little burnout on them. I was kind of, eh, it's fine. I hadn't been to San Diego since 2013. And then uh, when did when did the pandemic start? Um, 2020. 2020. So 2020, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go back to San Diego. I decided I'm like, it's time. It's been too long. And then can't go. Um, but no, I, I do very much miss the social aspects. Like I, uh, I usually go to Rose City and Emerald City, uh, where I, it's like the only time I ever see my f friend, uh, the aforementioned Adam Nave, and and some of our uh, um, other co-creators. And my brother lives in Seattle, so I love going to Emerald City. It's kind of, you know, two two in one. So I, I do miss them. I miss them way more than I expected to, mm -hmm. you know, over over this extended period of time. Um, and I was kind of ready, you know. I was thinking uh, I'm going to kind of start going back and. Then this week we got the you know mask mandates that started again in California and I see numbers going up and I'm just thinking oh god I don't know is it gonna be an, I don't know so now I'm I'm very on the fence about it. yeah yeah I can see uh, that yeah Ryland, I do miss seeing people yeah well what are your thoughts on yeah I mean it, it is it is a weird thing I mean you and I did a going back to con show you know, last week with, with, you know, two very different people and, and, um, and the information we had then was very different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, like you, 
you know, DJ, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm watching these numbers tick up and I'm hearing Delta variant stories and I'm watching mandates come back and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I, I just wonder, um, there's part of me that, you know, worries we're going to, I don't know how long this is going to fucking stretch out. You know, when, <laughs> when you, when you, when you said how long ago was the, uh, um, uh, you know, did, did the, the pandemic start, if, if you would have told me 15 you know, years ago, and the three of you agreed, I would have been like, well, I don't, yeah, I guess that sounds about right. Um, uh, uh, yeah, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to cover ground that I covered uh, uh, last week. Um, I am I am very excited uh, to get back, um, but I am on guard, you know. Um, you know, when you're talking about San Diego, San Diego is, you know, it's 200,000 people packed into a, a postage stamp. You know, um, and I don't know that it can, it can or should ever be like that again. Yeah. Um, my worry is that it will be, though. You know, I mean, um, uh, we talked about this last week a little bit. There, the 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 human uh, uh, brain um, uh, is such that it 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 goes back to normal. It goes back to the baseline very quickly, very easily. You know, we, we, I, I used a very terrible metaphor last week and I'll use it again, uh, uh, here, unfortunately. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll see how you guys think of it, but I, I'm thinking about our country like post, you know, post nine 11, uh, where for a short while, everybody was really on guard. Um, and we had, you know, uh, police officers, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, guys from the army with machine guns standing outside uh, of a subway, and uh, and we're checking this and we're checking that, and 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 there was that side of it, but then the other side of it was we were all we were all one big happy family. We were all together. We were looking out for each other. We were picking each other up off the ground, right? And so I think back to those times, and it was very tense, and it was very you know, but but I, I just watch how quickly we kind of just went back to normal, you know, and to a certain degree we didn't and we couldn't, you know, uh, uh, air travel changed and all these things, but it's like, but we very quickly went back to the baseline. And so that's what I wonder is I'm already seeing it around here. I mean, I, I live in Eagle Rock, you know, California, which is like, you know, it's a bunch of young hipsters and their kids, you know, and it is, it is like, it is the most like liberal, uh, uh, you know, place on the planet in a lot of ways. Um, but it was like, you know, it, it was as soon as there wasn't, you know, a mass mandate, like people were like throwing parties and coughing in each other's faces and jogging past each other, that stuff, you know. Um, and so that is my worry is that when we dip our toe in, in this con water, that everybody's just going to do a, a running fucking cannonball to the deep end and we're going to, you know, erase all of this kind of like careful, uh, uh, you know, this careful pants that we've that we've learned over these last couple of years. So I guess that's what I'm worried about. Um, mm -hmm. I am very eager to get back, but not eager to kind of get in that water and deal with like the nonsense that's no doubt going to come with it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, like, I think I, I've said this before, but I, you know, I think mask wearing is here to stay. Uh, not necessarily everywhere at all times, but I think in certain settings, you know, Will I sit at my booth wearing a mask? Probably not. But between the door and my booth, mm, probably. Edging through the crowd in the lobby, mm, probably a good idea. You know, uh, it's I mean, it's. Go ahead. The funny thing is that 
it's in in Asia wearing masks when you're when you're sick is is just a thing. That's just what people do. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, not everyone, but you know, if if you're aware that you're not feeling well or yeah. you know, you you wear a mask everywhere. That's just what you do. And, and I just think it's funny that that it's so like oh my god, like to us. Yeah, uh, and I know so many people that are immunocompromised and mm -hmm. would benefit hugely from wearing a mask. The thing that I've been hoping is that, you know, even the people who aren't, you know, the, the death from the flu went down from like the usual 50,000, 30 to 50,000 a year. There were like 600 this year. I'd like to think that people, when October rolls around, they're going to go, you know, I didn't, I haven't had a cold in two years. Maybe I will continue wearing a mask so that I don't get that horrible cold in December that I've gotten every year since I was eight years old, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, not just, you know, not just the number of cases uh, uh, going down, but we've, we've apparently eradicated, you know, specific strains, like made them extinct essentially uh, uh, through this thing. But, but yeah, the, you know, the, the Asia, you know, the, the Asia comparison is what kind of gives me hope because it did become normalized over there. Uh, uh, and, and, and it still is, you know, um, I wonder if we have the capacity for that. I, 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 I hope that we do. You, you know, I, I, I think at the very least it's like, there's not the stigma. I mean, two years ago, if I would have been walking through a mall with a mask on, you know, people would have been like, what the fuck is up with that guy? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so, somebody would have made fun of me. It's like, you know, hey, what's up, Snake Eyes? You know, um, yeah, you're referring to your Spider-Man mask, though. That, but yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah um, you know, and, and and we have. I mean, even when when there was a massive pandemic in in Asia, uh, we were still here making fun of it. You know, SNL had the. Do you remember this skit? The Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. Peter Peter Sarsgaard was the host of SNL and it was during the whole SARS, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, pandemic over there. And, um, and they did this skit called like the Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it's like, it's, it's us making fun of this shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and, and so, so, you know, I mean, we're assholes over here, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so, so my worry is that we return to that. My worry is that like this stuff isn't going to stick. It just seems like, I mean, that's what I just hope that it's, um, you know, it has been whatever a year and a half now of people being cooped up and forced to do this and forced to do that. But, um, but, you know, even through all that, we had idiots like in, you know, in, in the CBS around the corner from me again, like I'm, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in this liberal mecca and we had somebody in the CBS across from me who ends up on YouTube because they're sitting there, you know, spitting in people's faces and arguing about having to wear a mask. But it's like, so I, I don't know. Again, my worry is that we just, um, is that we well, have And then my evil side comes up and I'm like, hmm, all these people who refuse to wear masks and refuse to get the vaccine, we've yeah. needed a, a worldwide calling of idiots for a while now, yeah. you know, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's like Thanos of you, yeah. Yeah. I, no, there is the evolutionary aspect of it, of like, if you have not developed this defense mechanism, maybe- Maybe, maybe you deserve it. Maybe you deserve no. to get kicked off. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, the problem you know, is that those people are more likely to infect vulnerable people others, that, yeah. that aren't, you know, that are trying to protect themselves. Now, the other thing right. that I'd like to see, I would love to see a change. If you talk about American culture, uh, we have normalized going to work when you're sick. Yeah. 
we have normalized employers being pretty mad at you if you don't go to work when you're sick. And I, I people are so reluctant to be sick uh, and reluctant to admit it and reluctant to do anything about it. And some of that is about, you know, our ridiculous healthcare system, but it's, it's worth, if nothing else, normalizing the idea of no, stay home. Don't even wear a mask to work. Just take the day. And that's the other thing. I mean, I, I thought this at the very beginning of the pandemic of like, when the smoke clears, a whole lot of people are going to realize they never needed to go into an office. That's yeah. That's they kind of what I'm realizing. Never need. I think there's a way in which there's a societal thing, at least in America, where people, you know, you go to high school, and what is high school? Is high school really an educational experience, or are they just warehousing teenagers for four years to keep them off the streets? And. Uh, Work is kind of the same way. It's not It's not be here and do your work. It's like, we want to keep an eye on you while you do your work to make sure you're doing your work and not having a good time and not doing anything other than work. It's like, but who cares? If on Monday morning there is X amount of work to be done and you get it done by 5 p.m. on Friday, who the fuck cares what you did between Monday and Friday to get that done? If you did it at 4 a.m. in your underwear or if you did it sitting at your desk 9 to 5, because we bosses have worked they know that they spent nine to five jobs staring at a clock and playing tic-tac-toe on their computers or minecraft or whatever and they still got the job done and it's that thing of like parents going don't smoke pot kids even though i did for 50 years before you were born you know like it's that thing of like i know how twisted all of your minds are so i'm gonna make damn sure you don't get to have all that fun i had and uh I think it would be such a helpful evolution in society to just go, just get the work done, man, and we'll pay you. It doesn't really matter in what order, at what time. I mean, and there are obviously jobs that are dependent on communications during business hours and things like that. I know people in, I know people who live in Los Angeles and are stock market working people, and they have to get up at 3 a.m. because they have to be ready for what's happening in New York at 6 a.m. And that can't change for them. You know, the the world works in certain ways. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, especially as a lifelong freelancer, that wasn't a change in my life. Uh, the change in my life I'm hoping for going forward is the next time someone says to me, yeah, we booked you for a meeting in Santa Monica at 4 p.m. on a Friday. I can go, I will be sitting in my apartment in Hollywood with a video camera on at four o'clock and you can uh, just tune right in and we'll chat. You know, I had a meeting with boom last week and it was with an editor in San Diego and no one had to drive three hours to have that conversation, you know? Uh, And sure, you know, there's, there's definitely stuff that works better if you're hanging out all day together and you're working together, but much more can be done remotely no way, I get so much more done when I'm not in an office, like going in and having people just poking their heads and be like, guess what? And then ranting about something for 10 mm-hmm. minutes. Like, yeah. like I yeah. just, I, I, can, I can focus, I can, you know, there's there's not so much just tension of like looking like you're working. I don't yeah, know. That's I, I vastly prefer. The greatest, <laughs> waste of the, the greatest waste of human energy and potential on earth is the pretense of looking like you're working <laughs> like like that charade 
if you could channel the energy created by people pretending to work, you like you that'd be like harnessing the sun. Like that <laughs> there's more like there's the thermonuclear energy of people pretending to work and shuffling around the papers on their desk and you know <laughs> pretending to be on the phone. Like that's just that is a that is a that is an infinite resource and we're better yep. without it. I've recently Oh, go ahead, oh, DJ. Oh, no, I was just talking about work. I mean, I got a day job during the pandemic, um, and I live on the west side, and the office is in Burbank, and I went there once to pick up my computer. And I actually do so much more work than I would. I mean, just I, I was thinking about mm -hmm. just the commute, you know? I'm, I'm saving oh, two yeah. hours of sitting in traffic and wasting gas and getting frustrated That's by crazy. traffic. I just wake up, and I roll out, and I clock in, and boom, I'm working. Yeah. I honestly probably worked harder and more at this job from yeah. my living room than I ever you know, yes, have in an office. I was, I was chatting uh, on a Facebook wall. David Walker was saying once about possibly think about leaving. can't remember if it's Seattle or Portland off the top of my head, but one of the uh, two. Portland, yeah. And he was thinking about Los Angeles and everybody was like, oh man, the traffic, the traffic, the traffic. And about 30 comments down, I said, you're a comic book writer, David. How's yeah. that commute between your bedroom and your office going? Like, three yeah. cat pile up on the five. Like, you know, what, what what possible effect does traffic have on your life? Right. No, that that's he was like, yeah. Point. If you want to go to a movie at seven o'clock on a Friday, it's an, it traffic enters into the equation. But on a day to day basis, my my father was an extrovert and a very garrulous, talkative guy. Can't imagine where, where I get it from. And uh, he was a novelist and he wrote over 200 novels and he wrote all, the, you do that by being in the machine all day. You don't write 200 novels by waiting for inspiration to strike you. That's, that's not how that happens. But there's a, a habit he got into and I've actually been doing it the last couple of months where he would wake up at like 7 a.m. and go for a walk and go for a diner I'd go to a diner and sit and have a cup of coffee and talk to people and interact with the world for a little bit and then go home and go to work. Mm. Like by 9 a.m. he had his hands on the typewriter and was working and he got just enough of, oh look, human people, great. Now I can ignore them for eight hours and do my thing. Mm. You know, and that's, that's worked out okay for me the last couple of months. Yeah, it sounds like a good technique actually. Yeah, yeah just to, yeah. because you, you definitely, you know, I used to say that, you know, the me between jobs, I go from zero to Martin Sheen in the first three minutes of Apocalypse Now. <laughs> in like a minute, I'm lying on the floor, you know, with a bottle of whiskey and a Colt 45 and punching mirrors. Like it's very fast when I'm unemployed to before it's like, you know, ceiling fans and guns and drinks and, you know, like, so we want to get past that. Uh, and what helps is to go, no, there's a, there's a world out there. There are human beings and, you know, but yeah. everybody's, everybody's different. I mean, and I love people and hate crowds. Mm -hmm. So that part of Comic-Con is of all cons is always, I kind of love small cons for that. Partially because I started going to cons, I think I was 12 or 13 years old. So we're talking about 1978. And there were no big cons in 1978. Right. There, there were. I mean, the biggest con you could go to was small. You know, I went to San Diego for the first time in 89. And it was in a different building. And it was, I mean, an eighth of the size that it is now.
And it was the biggest. Yeah. I think the first time I went to San Diego was around um, the early – sorry, I'm hearing myself repeat. I don't know what just happened. Yeah, I'm hearing it. Oh, I don't hear it. That's interesting. So yeah, bizarre. I totally hear it. I think it's on your end, uh, Avalone. Okay, let me try now. <laughs> testing, testing. Oh, yeah, there we go. Hello. Yeah, but the, hello, oh, yeah. can you hear me now? All right. Yeah, I was just saying the first time I went to a convention was probably, I, I think, in 2008 was the first time I went to San Diego, and I just got a day pass and drove down and parked right by it and just walked in. Yeah. And just like, you know, a year later, that's impossible. Like the last time I went, there's no way I could have done that. It's out of control. And I, I'm with, the, I'm, I think we're all kind of similar. We like people, but crowds can be a lot, like you're all saying. I, um, I get pretty distracted in a crowd in the first place. And now with the, and I, and I would always get sick at cons anyway. And now with the illness so much more. Yeah, I mean, that, that part does make me nervous, you know? Uh, and also, I, I tend to have to strain my voice to talk to people in a convention. If I'm wearing a mask while I'm doing it, that's going to be tough, too. So, I don't know. There's there's a lot to consider. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the whole, like, being all, everybody jam-packed shoulder to shoulder just can't happen. Crazy. And I don't know how, I, I, but I, conventions I, I need to make money. Yeah. yeah, but conventions yeah. need to make money, so I don't know. I just don't know what the answer is going to be. Yeah, I mean, conventions need to make money, but... 200,000 people, like even once you get rid of the guests and the pro passes and the press, what's the cost of a ticket to Comic-Con? 300 bucks? Something like that. I don't even know. Like it's not, you start doing that math by everyone in Hall H, I think they're making money. Like I I think you could throw out a quarter of the people in Hall H and still make a lot of money. Uh, so, and again, not for forgetting the, you know, the $12 bottle of water and all of the other things that, that go into and San Diego making a zillion dollars with their, you know, every time I pay for a hotel room in San Diego, I'm like, I have paid a quarter of this for a hotel room in Rome (laughs) (laughs) and I'm in San freaking Diego paying like way more than that hotel by the Spanish steps in Rome. The thing is it's, it, it's not just a, it's not just a con thing. It is a city thing. It is mm-hmm. like the biggest, you know, they make the city makes more money in that week than, than, you know, probably most of the other weeks combined, you know, and, and BJ, you're right. It's like the, you know, the, the, the growth of, of, of the event has been like this. I mean, I started going, I went to my first San Diego Comic Con in 2004, and um, and and I, in between 2004 and 2020, I went to 15 of 16, mm-hmm. um, and so back in 04, I you know I wasn't even a comic I, I didn't become a comic pro until what you know five years ago or something like that. But I, I was I would always go down for for film business, you know. Um, and in fact, the first time I went down, so it's 2004. Uh, the Walking Dead comic book is not that old. Um, and, uh, and, um, I was, my writing partner and I, uh, were working, uh, with, um, uh, uh, Stephen Summers, who is, you know, directed the mummy and a bunch of other, you know, kind of big budget films. And he was taking a long look at the walking dead as a feature film that would have been done at universal back then. Um, and, 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 and my writing partner and I very much into it, very enthusiastic about the project. We think this is going to be big. And he's like, yeah, I don't see it. 
and, 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 and he quietly passed on it. It was really fun. He's yeah. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do rent housing instead. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah it, that that's that that is exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so, uh, so I am down there, 2004, and with a a, a young kind of very schlubby uh, Robert Kirkman, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, back then. And you know, I mean, we're used to seeing Kirkman, and and you know, with the guy has more money than than God now. But you know, I see him in a nice suit when he's walking around now. But he is like, you know, I mean, he's got like a stained shirt and like a flannel over it, and he's just kind of walking around like this, and he's not looking anyone in the eye. Now he's this like this Titan, this, this dynamo, yeah. you know, and back then he's just like some, some, you know, he's some good behind the booth signing books and stuff like that. So, so obviously that this was, this was what, 16 years ago. It, it, it feels like a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, but, but in 2004, it's like you said, I mean, you, you, you roll, you basically like roll. I mean, it's almost like you are an action hero in a movie where like you pull right up in front of the police station and just leave your car there and go inside, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like no red zones or anything like that, you know? And, 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 then, and then over the years it became, well, you can park within walking distance, but it's going to cost you 20 bucks. And this year it's going to cost you 30 bucks. Uh, this year you're about a mile out. It's going to cost you 60 bucks. And now like, don't even, you know, now I train in, don't even bother bringing a car. Right. But, too. but, but then, but then the experience also was in 2004, um, it didn't matter what panel it was. It didn't matter if it was hall H, you know, it didn't matter if it was, uh, um, you know, the, the biggest creator on earth, you know, uh, 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 you know, having a, uh, a, a talk in one of the smaller panel halls or whatever. It was like, whatever you wanted to go see, you could go see, you wander in halfway through the, the panel halls are half full. Um, I literally saw anything and everything back then. And then, it, and, and, um, and, you know, you, you could walk on the convention floor, you could breathe, you could wander from this to this. Um, uh, your phones work down there. Um, you know, if your friend was like, Hey, meet me at 2,500, it, it didn't take you an hour to get from like one end of, of the, the con hall to, to 2,500. And then every year it got worse and worse and worse. Right. And, um, and, um, you know, where I really saw it, there was this transition at some point. Um, and, and <laughs> David Barron made a really interesting point. Did, uh, do you remember the year he, uh, David Barron said, uh, Avalone, mm -hmm. I, I, it was 08 or, or, or 06 or something like that. David Barron said that Twilight ruined Comic-Con. Oh yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. That was yeah a, that Twilight I, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with him, but that, that was a common <laughs> perception even at the time. It, it was an interesting theory that just brought in all these other people. But 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 what I saw is that it got worse and worse and worse. And you used to be able to walk around and breathe like any day of con. And then it was like and then it was like Saturday and Sunday got really bad. Um, but if you went Thursday and Friday, it, it was fine. So it was like you just kind of plan your trip. Then it wasn't a four day thing for me. I was coming down for a day or two. And it was like, OK, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I'll go down on Thursday and Friday. And then like Friday got bad. And then Thursday got bad. Um, and then, um, you know, and then it was like, well, you can just wander into Hall H. Then Hall H was, was full. Then you yeah. started to have to line up for Hall H. Then people are camping out two days in advance for Hall yeah. H. That was how everything got. And so, and, and, and again, it's just money and money and money. And it's money for the, for the organizers. It's money for the convention center. It's money for the restaurants, the, 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 the hotels, all of that stuff. And 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 they count on it growing and growing and growing every year. I mean, they were they were they were their plans to like build you know an addition onto the the, the convention center so they could make this thing bigger, you know. So it's gonna be um, three hundred thousand people. Yeah. But what, no, what no, exactly. Got... I, I I I remember them boasting like eight, uh, eight, you know eight years ago. It's like oh, hundred thousand people this year. Like oh my god, and now it's two. 
And where yeah. does it go from there? And I don't think it can be two anymore. Even. You know, no. So sorry, I'm, I'm ranting. But yeah. No, I'm just, I and you, what you have is you know a lot of the boards of health of cities are such political organs that they're never going to say, no, 150,000 people is the is too much. We we should cap it at 100,000 people. Everyone will still make money. But, you know, growth is the definition of capitalism. And we, right. we, we refuse to hit the point where the, the Department of Health will say, no, actually, that's the maximum number of people. And I think when you the thing that's interesting to me and surprising to me, I would have thought that the fact that there's a there's a convention everywhere every weekend before the pandemic mm -hmm. would have siphoned at least some people off of San Diego. But it really never, it hasn't done that. It's the Super Bowl. Everybody's going to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, everybody's going to watch the Super Bowl. I mean, just because there are other sporting events out yeah. there. And, 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 I mean, because and, and honestly, yeah. WonderCon is a shred smaller than, than San Diego. Oh, WonderCon's crazy, yeah. It's all yeah. the same people. It's all the same booths. It's all the same stuff. It's all the same panels. And it's just this much more manageable you know, even LA Comic Con, which is a joke and was has been for many years, even that's like slightly smaller than WonderCon now. You yeah. know, that fluctuates more. But it's just like, it's amazing to me that you're right. I mean, San Diego is the place you have to go, you know. But what happens when you do that, like, you know, you talk about who's making money, you get a lot of people who you know, it's 15 of them in one hotel room. They buy food at the Ralph's. Like, they're not buying food. They're not buying comic books because they spent all their money on the plane <laughs> yeah. ticket and the tickets to the con. And they're there They're there to go in the panels. They're there to lie outside of Hall H. And again, God bless them. They, they keep us alive in many, many ways. But you're, like, if, if all of that, if the hotels were cheaper and the ticket was cheaper... <laughs> I, bless you. Bless you. I swear to you that that money would be spent on comic books. It would yeah. be spent mm -hmm. on action figures. It would be spent on things that the vendors are there to sell. And look, we've all, you know, I've seen things at a booth and just gone, uh, can I just take your card and I'll buy this off your website in two weeks when I can think straight, you know? Uh, yeah. um, but I'm curious, Holly. Did you ever go to cons before you were going professionally, or did you only go to San Diego? No, I, I, I really only started going to cons for work. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, I've, I've always been like you know a nerdy person, but the idea of being in a big space with a billion other nerds, sure, for like <laughs> you know just I, I don't know because because the the concept of conventions, especially for things that aren't comic books. Mm -hmm. is, is 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 was always a very negative one like you you know you think you think of people who are in like star trek convention you're like oh god why would you do that you know um and and com comic books are a little different because it's not just fans and celebrities it's professionals and people who can network and stuff like that right. um so that made a little bit more sense to me um but but i think my my view of of cons is inherently skewed because i've never paid for a ticket to go to one right i for you know i've never camped out anything i've never like i said i've never put up in a swank hotel room or any of that fun stuff so it, it it's just 
it, it, it became an interesting definition of my work. So when it stopped, I sort of like had to reevaluate my entire identity. <laughs> it was like, it was like, who am I if I can't go to music or conventions? Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was it was very strange. Yeah, and for me, in the pre-internet, pre-nerds rule the world hmm. world, yeah, like I'm old enough to remember when too. Star Trek was a thing that ended in 1969. Right. And then they had a cartoon that ended in 1973, and that's it. No more Star Trek ever. That's all you'll ever get. Oh, wait, we have 100 novels to sell you. But there's still never right. going to be more cartoons. There's never going to be more movies. And the conventions were very much... Uh, like there's an adolescent quality to them, obviously because that's when I started going, but there's also that thing of, you're the only person in your high school that likes Star Trek. Would you like to meet all the other people who are the only person in their high school who likes Star Trek? Right. So that you can finally talk to someone who speaks the same language you do. And right. I remember the things that were like, the mark of the true pre-Star Wars fan was like you'd read Dune uh, you had listened to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio shows when they were played on NPR in America. Mm. Like that stuff was, believe it or not, like that was intrinsic to the identity of being a science fiction fan and being a nerd. And then it, you know, then Star Wars comes out and, you know, the yeah, Pat Oswalt has made a joke. Yeah, I'm a nerd. I love Star Wars. Yes, you're a nerd because you love the most popular film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> the most that popular work in human history you love you're an outsider like what no you're not everybody everybody liked that movie don't kid yourself um yeah. so it is you know it's changed with the marvel movies with all of that with the the prevalence of all of this stuff i mean well, i always before, go ahead sorry i didn't mean to I didn't mean no to go ahead no i was i was saying i i think i was the part of the first like what are we are we generation x are we are we millennials are we geriatric millennials i don't even know <laughs> but i was i was the uh part of the first generation that was able to use the internet as a place mm. to to, to mm. commute you know commiserate with other people who couldn't you know who were into weird stuff that that their people in in high school weren't so that's where i went you know i went to aol message boards i went to right. you know stuff like that and so i I, I feel like that that i mean it's it's a difference between like generations obviously but it's also yeah. it's also a difference between like personality type i think yeah uh, yeah but you know when i was a teenager the only people with email address and internet access were in missile silos pointing <laughs> icbms at the soviets like that was literally what the internet was invented for and that's those, the thing where you took the phone cradle and you stuck it in that machine to connect to the internet, that was so, you Old know, and I, the, the, yeah, and the positives <laughs> for people being able to interact and connect with each other are, are off the charts. I'm a big believer in the internet. I'm a big believer in them. The negatives are the, the people on Twitter <laughs> who hated The Last Jedi in 1980, there was that same group of people who hated the Empire Strikes Back. And how that existed in the popular culture was it was boiled down to three letters to the editor in Starlog magazine. Right, yeah. <laughs> like there weren't less of them, but they had less representatives with any kind of megaphone saying, it's only half a movie. They killed Han Solo, what? He's a puppet the puppets are stupid. Like they, <laughs> all the same things people said about The Last Jedi were said about the Empire Strikes Back and it's been forgotten now because it's a revered classic. 
Mm -hmm. But also because there was no way for all the people walking out of theaters going, Darth Vader isn't Luke Skywalker's father. It's bullshit. Those people had nowhere to go. <laughs> they, they, you know, they probably, like I said, you got a letter to the editor of Starlog magazine and that was, that was it. You know, Starlog pulled two or three of them and a couple of months later, you never heard about it again. Right. Uh, so that part is, is the big negative. I feel like social media was much more tolerable when people actually posted little tidbits about what they were actually doing instead of just going on there to soapbox about whatever, you know, topic. Yeah, right. Is Everyone hot. used to say about Instagram, it's like, ah, oh, it's everybody taking pictures of their lunch. It's like, now we kind of miss people taking pictures of their lunch. <laughs> right, exactly. Nobody was like, oh, I hate an omelet. You know, it's like, that's not, you know, you should die because of coffee. Like, that's not a, not a thing. <laughs> Well, I'll say we could all use with a kind, a kinder, gentler uh, internet. But uh, but yeah, so cons were you know were a big part of. It was like, and I I will admit, I'm 55. I went to my first con at 12 or 13. There is still that moment when I step into the hall for the first time where I go, my people. Yeah. Right when you said that, I got a little yeah. like I it's, got a lump in my throat. I'm like, it's, yeah, it yeah, still gosh, happens. I look around, I see. A uh, father, you know, with his kids, and they're all in Starfleet uniform. They got little yeah. tiny Starfleet uniforms on, and I go, "My people, you know." Yeah. There's a there's the a smelling dirty in the morning. There's yeah. a sixty year old man dressed as Obi Wan Kenobi. God bless him. <laughs> God bless him that he hasn't stopped. You know, Although then, that's that just reminds thing. me of the sixty uh, year old man at Baltimore Comic Con who insisted on dressing like Tarzan every year I went. Wow. And I felt like that loincloth got shorter and shorter or yeah, things were dark. dropping. But other than that, yeah, no, it is actually quite, yeah. I, I yeah, agree. There's, just, there's something beautiful about that and seeing fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, you know, grandkids even all together. It's, it's yeah. the best, quite frankly. Yeah, it's, I, a, it's, a, it's a form of expression and it's a place where people let their fleek, freak flag fly without fear. There's <laughs> yes. an alliteration for you. I'm a professional. <laughs> Like by without fear, nice. Um, and, and and this is something that we haven't replicated. We're onto something here because this podcast grew out of us trying to sort of replicate things that were missing from the con experience. You know, um, I mean, it started. We were all missing cons. There were no cons, and then there were a couple of good online cons. I mean, I I I, I helped to organize the um uh uh um uh what's the name of the con? <laughs> why is my why is, why is my um, head uh. Uh, was my um, the Comic Core one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the name? Of, oh, Mainframe, Mainframe Comic Con. Mainframe. <laughs> I, I helped organize two Mainframe Comic Cons, and and you can tell. Um, no, but 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 from Mainframe Comic Con, like we we got something. We got a lot of what we were missing. Like we had the panels, and we had the the discourse about comic books and the art of of making comic books, and and the celebration of comic books, and we had interactions with with fans and stuff like that and and you could set up a virtual booth and all of that stuff and all of that stuff was important and it was nice right and then Avalonia and i got to talking and it's like well what are we still missing and 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 again the like he said to you guys i think this was was off camera but our listeners have heard this a lot um this grew out of us missing the kind of barcon experience you know mm -hmm. uh after a, a full day on the con floor uh, uh, a couple of creators, a couple of people, you know, uh, all of us from the industry, we get together, we go to the bar across the street, you know, we sit down, uh, you know, we have a couple of, uh, of pops and, and we talk some shit, you know, and, and, and that's what we're doing right now. And, and we are, um, you know, we're what, almost 40 episodes in now. And, um, and it's been great. 
You know, it's it, it is uh, it has kept me alive. It has kept kept me sort of uh, emotionally and intellectually healthy in, in a lot of ways. But this other thing you're talking about the 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 magic of the chaos of a con, uh, we have not been able to experience again. Just just you know, I, I just. It, it, the best thing is when you take someone to to Comic Con for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I've seen it over and over again. It's like, okay, well, well, I, you know, I did it. I did it for fifteen, you know, basically fifteen years in a row. I missed one year for for a weird reason. <clears throat> but you go to San Diego that much, and it's it's like Avalonie said. Well, like it's about eighty percent the same or ninety percent the same. The same booths, the same vendors, the same people. Um, you know, it, it changes slightly, but it's mostly the same, but it is, it is big. It is bad. It is crazy. It is wonderful. And after 15 years, you forget that totally. Mm -hmm. Right. But then one year I bring my now wife with me and, and her mind is, she, she's not a comic book person, but she is, she can celebrate something that is like amazing and crazy. <laughs> and she's like, Oh my God, how have I never come, come to this place? Like, this is fucking outrageous. And she's She's taking pictures of all this stuff and she's falling in love with all the stuff that I take for granted that mm -hmm. whatever, you know, 15 years ago, it was amazing to me. Uh, it's not anymore. Uh, but seeing it through her eyes, I can see that. And, and, and I can, you know, and, and so I try to bring a friend. I try to bring someone. Um, I feel like we have that to look forward to. You know what I'm saying? We, we've been away from this for so long. And again, it's been whatever. It's been 18 months, maybe. Uh, it feels like it's been 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we go back, and when we see the Obi-Wan Kenobi and the guy in the loincloth, I mean, I, I posted, um, I post uh, DJ, if you've been to Baltimore a couple of times, you probably know the guy um, who prints baseball cards. He prints his own baseball cards of creators and comes up and has oh. them, uh, has he signed them? Do you remember that yeah. guy? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I mean, those I, cards. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I posted, um, I posted mine on, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see this, but I, I have a, so, so here is, uh, give me a second. This is this is the baseball card he printed of me. Oh, that's so I cool! Know, I don't know how well you can see that, but you know, again, he took it from like a social media post, and he had me sign it. And he didn't have one for me, and so I made him hold it and sign it. But but like everyone knows this guy. This guy's been yeah. doing this for like 10, 15 years, and so literally every creator who who has been on the bill at Baltimore Comic Con knows this guy. And so I post this online. And, you know, Philip Kennedy Johnson's like, oh, uh, you know, baseball card guy. I love that guy. You know, um, uh, I mean, it is like it is such a it is such a fucking circus, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we are missing the circus. We have we, we, we've done all these things to kind of like, you know, keep ourselves, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, to get our little fixes. But we have not been to the circus. And so I am very much looking forward to the circus. You know, I mean, my, my, my favorite thing. I, I, I will take a day or part of a day at, at a con and I'll walk around with my books and I will go up to every like great cosplayer that I see and I will make them hold my, one of my books and take a picture. And then I have like a year of social media content where it's like, you know, hey, here's Gandalf holding Aberrant. Hey, here's, uh, you know, here, here's Master Chief from Halo, like holding Banjax. Here's, uh, um, that stuff is awesome. It's crazy. Like you can only get that at one of these conventions and we haven't had it and I miss it and I'm looking forward to it. And that's like... Uh, you know, that's my, uh, yeah, that's my rant. I'm even, more, I'm even more nostalgic now than I was when we started. <laughs> um, I, think you're, I, think, I think you're right. Like, I think maybe going as a professional for 10 years in a row, just, I got jaded. I really yeah, did. And, and you never had just that, like, relaxing fan experience. Exactly. You immediately went there working. Yeah, you didn't have the moment, the experience of just going and going, oh, wow, you know. 
And yeah, so the that, first yeah. couple times I went, there were there there was always somebody I hadn't seen before, somebody who was or somebody who was I was a fan of that I was super excited to see. Mm-hmm. And then by the eight by the eight or ninth year, it was it, I, those people sort of dried up, and it was just all the same people every single year. And so I, you know, it, it's hard to. You know, it's hard to make yourself get excited about that if 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 you're just you know by the end of it, I was like, okay, great. You know, Comic Con means no sleep, physical exhaustion, bunch of work. You know, just yeah, walking around. Yeah, you work at the White House. That, I mean, that, that, that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. like you know, uh, uh, not you know, uh, nine hundred ninety nine thousand. You know, uh, I, like 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 nine hundred ninety nine out of a thousand people who go into the White House are completely awed by the building, the history, what it means, the symbolism. Like, oh my God, they walk into the Oval Office. Literally, there are stories about people's knees buckling and not being able to talk. Like, it is such a. But if you work in the White House for four years <laughs> and you are put through the fucking grinder and you it's are in and out of the Oval Office, office getting screamed at. You're like, yeah. fuck this place. This place is yeah. garbage. Like, look how shitty and old the walls are, and look at the rips oh, on the look. carpeting. And this place is hell. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's it's like the marrow gets sucked from it, right? And, 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 and absolutely, yeah. you know, I draw, I draw that enthusiasm from, you know, as someone going to them a lot and going to them as a professional, all that. You, it is you. You have to like look at the ten year old dressed as Spider-Man and literally draw your enthusiasm from that and go, this is the most exciting thing this person has ever experienced. And you should be happy to be in this room with them while they're experiencing it. You know what I mean? I did a movie. uh, I produced a movie and kickstarted it a few years ago. And I did something that at the time I thought was kind of cynical, which is we offered people, they paid us, $250 $250 to be extras in the movie. <laughs> like literally they paid us what we should have been paying them. Yeah. I felt a little bad about it. And then the shooting day, it was a party scene. And it had a couple of minor movie stars. I shouldn't say that out loud. It had some movie stars. Look, I'm in the movie, but it, uh, no, but it had some movie and TV stars in it. And, those people, you know, you make movies for 30 years. It's just another, you know, day at the office. They were so excited. It was literally the highlight of some of their lives that they were on a set with real actors that they recognized while a movie was being made. And I remember turning to one of the other producers or the director and saying, these people are so energizing to me because they're reminding me how fucking great this job is, how amazing it is that we get to do it, how wild it is that we're here doing it. And it's so great to see this through their eyes and look over at the camera with the dolly with the camera on it and go, that thing is amazing. Yeah, it actually is amazing. Right. I know how much it costs to rent the friggin' thing, so I'm mad. <laughs> you know, like I look at it and go, I can $5,000, I get to use something. You know, like I'm thinking about, I could have spent that on a location, you know, but no, but it's awesome. And the DP is awesome. And the actors are awesome. And the location's awesome. And everything's awesome. And that's the thing that I always try to remain connected to at Comic-Con. I always see some cosplayer who's just amazing. Yeah. And has nailed it. And you just, you, you can tell what it means to them to put that skin on and to be that and to embody that. They're 
this is a little bit of a, a slight digression, but there's there's something religious about it in that if I'm walking down the street and I see someone with a I have a I have a baseball cap with this cap with the Starfleet insignia on it. There's a degree to which, yeah, that's a thing from a TV show that I like. It's also a moral statement about what I stand for and what I believe in. I'm more comfortable around someone wearing a Superman t-shirt than I am around someone wearing a Batman's t-shirt. Yeah, no, I, I get, yeah. You know I what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because the Superman guy doesn't believe in violence for its own sake. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like uh, there's just, there's something in saying like, no, this is, this is who I am. I believe in truth, justice in the American way, actually. That's why I have this on and I'm walking around in public like this going, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. And I think I, you know, but as you were, you were talking about encounter Holly, is there a, what was like your favorite person that you met at Comic-Con? What was your favorite experience meeting someone? Oh, gosh. I mean, aside from me. The first time I got to talk to Kevin Eastman and show him my, my little, uh, my little turtle, turtle force, charter force card from when I was eight. Oh, cool! And have him sign that. That was that was pretty cool. That's so nice. cool. Was I there for that, or had you interviewed? No, him? this was like 2010 or 2011. Oh, okay. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't no, realize no, that was no, that was on the bus. Yes, and mine's yeah. signed by him now. That's so cool. yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Well, I, I showed Avaloni this. He's like, you know, I can get that signed by him. But yeah, I yeah, I, I, I autographed my look at my weird Mirage, like cursive Mirage Studios at the bottom, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so fun. Where they yeah. sold it to Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a registered trademark of Mirage Studios USA. Yep. It's wild. Cool. DJ, how about you? You know, I'm trying to, I mean, I have, so, I have a terrible memory, to be honest. <laughs> but um, the thing that, for some reason, I'm suddenly very nostalgic for Baltimore Comic Con. I don't know what's going on, but I brought it up a couple times. But um, I was, there's, uh, the first time I had a, a, a not an anthology, but a book published. Um, the Amelia Cole series, IDW was putting out the first trade as we're digital first. And and Adam and I were there. Um, and we were on like kind of like an IDW panel that was hosted by uh, Dirk Dirk Wood, who used to work at IDW. I oh, I know think, Dirk, sure. Yeah, I think he's at Image now. You know, but he's like, yeah, Dirk's just rocking it out. And he's just, you know, he's just doing his Dirk rock and roll thing. He's winging it. But on the panel was like, it was the IDW panel. And next to us was Walt Simonson. And wow. I'm like, and you know, we're like, oh boy, you know, like, like what, what is? Why are we on a panel with Walt? And not only that, but when you know he, we were talking, he was listening to us, and, and you know what I mean. And then later at the bar, he came up and talked. I'm getting chills thinking about. It. I'm like, Walt Simon's just like, hey, how, how's it going, fellas? You know, I'm just like, what's happening? So stuff like that, um, those types of experiences are. are I totally I mean, get that. Yeah, that type of thing's really cool. I totally. I walked into. I was walking into New York Comic Con once. And I passed Matt Wagner's booth. And I've been oh, a fan yeah. of Matt Wagner since I was in college. Mm -hmm. And Matt saw me and went, hey, David. And I said, hey, Matt, great to see you. And my wife was standing next to me and she went, that feels pretty good, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that feels fucking great, actually. To be treated <laughs> like a colleague by yeah. Matt Wagner, whose comics so I've been reading for, you know, 35 years. How about you, Rylan? What do you got? Uh, 
best con story. I don't know. You know, they're they're all small. They're all fun. I mean, <laughs> looking back on my uh, on my my Kirkman uh, uh, Walking Dead uh, Steve Summers Odyssey. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty good and pretty funny. I mean, you know, with with the way that history is played out and the twists and turns. Um, I've had some good ones. I remember. Uh, I remember um, meeting Eric Estrada in uh, in the green room at, at Comic Con, uh, and I was um, uh, you know I, I was a huge uh, uh, Chips fan growing up, and and I mean those are the guys that get excited about you know he could be standing next to Tom Cruise, and I'm like Eric, you know, yeah. how are you doing? <laughs> um, and uh, and then and then I got pulled away uh, by another friend talking, and my my you know then girlfriend now wife was with me and as i got pulled away eric Estrada started talking to my wife and um it took him about five minutes to uh start trying to convince her to go to ireland with him what <laughs> and so yeah, listen yeah, listen here punch yeah exactly. yeah yeah and i'm like am i gonna have you know am i gonna have to fight punch here like that's <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, that's, the, the, that's that's pretty tough that was a good one i mean i remember like i remember being at a bar with um with uh, Virgil from the WWE, oh, are, are yeah. there any wrestling fans on? You know, he was the million dollar man's valet, you know, when I was a big wrestling fan growing up. And he's, um, uh, I mean, you can look him up on the internet. He's, he's a little, uh, he's a little off. He's a little left to center. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I had, I had a crazy like hour long conversation uh, uh, with, with Virgil that just blew my mind. Um, and if you're a wrestling fan, it, it would be very meaningful. But I won't go into the details here. But um, I mean, he was talking about how um, he had to stop swimming in, in San Diego because like jellyfish were coming after him. And he got into this big fight with a jellyfish, and he bit the head off a jellyfish. I mean, he was going into like really graphic, crazy detail. That really and, and, like a smart idea, putting wow. a jellyfish in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, and I'm like, this this couldn't have happened, but he really seems to believe that it happened. And it was right. just like it, it was it was you know. So so it's like so cons are always like, you know, I feel like you walk into an alternate universe for like a for for a day for a couple of days, and that's what it felt like. And it's just it's definitely this place where anything can happen. It's where like you know. I mean, you wander in, you have no idea what's going to happen that day, and then you, you your pillow hits the bed that day, and like um, you know, Eric Estrada tried to uh, leave the country with your your your, your wife to be, and uh, and Virgil cornered you at a bar and terrified you with the story about biting the head off a jellyfish. I mean, that's what happens at cons. I mean, yeah. I would say like, I would say my favorite con ever. Um, was um, I, I was a huge I was a huge Star Trek guy growing up, and particularly Next Gen and and, and Deep Space Nine. And, you know, huge fan back then. I went to cons when I was a kid. Those were the cons I went to. Um, and then I kind of hit high school and I became like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, popular enough in high school to where like I didn't fly my flags anymore. And then I got into college and that kind of continued. And, um, you know, and then I moved out to L.A. And, and you know, I met I met AFI, like a kind of snooty, you know, uh, uh, you know, film school, art school, and you certainly don't want to wear your Star Trek flags uh, 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 there. But there was this time shortly after AFI where um, I I was missing it, you know, and um, and I was tired of hiding it, and um, I I sort of re came out uh, uh, a, 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 as a trekker, um, and I did it in grand fashion. There was this um, uh, there was this massive uh, Trek con in Vegas. Uh, Trek Vegas is always a, a huge con, but this is this was like their their first real like fuck you. This is the largest con in the history of Trek con, <laughs> and and I went there just as a fan. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't working the con, no business, anything. I went there as 
I mean, I was I was in my twenties, but I went there as like a twelve year old fucking Star Trek nerd and geeked out like two hundred and fifty percent. I made up for like the the you know ten fifteen years of like of of, of putting Star Trek in the closet, and um, and I. I met, you know, I met literally every person from like next gen DS9. I got autographs, I got pictures. I like, I went fucking berserk, um, and uh, and it was glorious. It was like, you know, one of the best weekends of my life. Um, and um, and I've never gone that hard again. Um, but I make sure not to put it away anymore. You know, I mean, as you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. I yeah, like literally my first, my first, were you saying something, DJ? I'm sorry, I got this. Oh, oh, sorry. No, I was just, because what you were saying, about what Ryan Lynn was saying about the Star Trek convention reminded me of um, how it's experiences at conventions. And so there is something when there's no work pressure and you're just going just to have fun and take it in. It, it's pretty magical. I mean, I, I feel like if and when cons come back, I might do like, or just maybe one day just go there to, you know, as a fan and, and not try to sell books or worry about if people are coming to my table or not. You know what I mean? Because there's something pretty great about that. That's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always yeah. That's yeah. Sure. No, Although, that's always, it was always, um, I always allow myself like one one fangirl, fan, fangirl, fanboy moment per con. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always sort of, it was always sort of cool when, when um, you're like an uber fan of somebody who doesn't understand that they're in a place where they're, famous you know like, right, like right. I, think, I think it was um it was like 2016 or something uh but they had brought over Tsutomi Nihei from Japan who's one of my favorite uh manga creators he did uh Knights of Cydonia and Blame and a bunch of other awesome stuff and I, of course I knew what he looked like and he came he came by the famous monsters booth and I saw him and I and I and I was like oh my god and so I had to I had to leave, leave the booth and go over and, and try to explain to him in my very very bad Japanese that 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 I'm a huge fan and he was totally confused at once. He was like, why is this person making it? What, what is she doing? And then he was like talking to his interpreter. And his interpreter was like, he doesn't understand that you know who he is. Oh, that's cool, though. <laughs> oh, recognized so nice. him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. Now, there, sometimes people really don't get what effect they had. And sometimes they don't know what's coming. Hmm. I was at, uh, right before I started writing comic books, I was shooting behind the scenes stuff. For Winona Earp for IDW. Oh yeah. And I was going around the crowd, the con with the cast and crew shooting them, the cast mostly. And Tim Rosen, who plays Doc Holliday, uh, wonderful guy, great guy, huge comic book fan and nerd. And he was walking around and having a great time. And I said to him at one point, "This is the last time you're going to be able to walk around here alone." Yeah. Like looking like you do now. And at the time I was clean shaven, this is relevant to the story. Two years later, I was writing comic books, had the mustache. I'm with my wife, I'm looking through a stack of comic books. And from behind me, I hear this voice drawl, you call that a mustache? <laughs> and I turn around and it's Tim who has a spectacular mustache on Winona. <laughs> He's wearing a beard because he doesn't want to look like Doc Holliday. But it was great to see him again. He hugged me. We took a picture together, all that. But that's, that might be my favorite just because it was such a personal moment of, of someone coming up to me and saying, you call that a mustache? Is the mustache and, part, uh, of, part of the comic book persona? Just 
just wondering since you didn't used to have it before you started writing comic books. No, it's it's actually uh I think I did it for a Halloween costume and my wife really, really liked it. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> like why don't you not shave that off? I was like, really okay. I've told this before, but it is my favorite thing about it in terms of cosplay. The first con I did after I grew the mustache was a Long Beach Comic Con. And I was being interviewed on camera for something. I can't remember what. And I posted a picture of the interview. And you could see me, you could see the camera, you could see the reporter holding out the microphone. And a friend of mine on Instagram replied, Commissioner Gordon, do you have a statement about the Batman? <laughs> and I went, holy shit, that's really, <laughs> yeah. that's. So now I just tell people this is my, cause I'm always in a suit or a jacket at least. I'm like, no, this is just my Commissioner Gordon cosplay. That's I great. Essentially for the rest of my life. It's amazing. Jim Gordon going forward. <laughs> it's amazing how, how, you know, how influential uh, wives end up being with that stuff. I, I shaved my head uh, for 17 years. Um, I, I just did not have hair. I got, you know, and I, I did it once in college and I loved how like easy it was and manageable it was. I, I, I like the cue ball look. And so I shaved my head for 17 years. My, my wife and I met, you know, in, in college and, and she just she knew me you know for you know forever uh uh and then um and then at some point uh i was like you know what i i think maybe i'll just you know i haven't done it in a while let me just grow it out and see what it looks like and, and i thought it was going to be an experiment i'm like oh yeah i'll do this for a little while and then i grew the hair and she's like i love that hair you're never shaving it again <laughs> and, and so you know i mean you know uh, to her credit it is pretty luxurious um, uh, however, nice I, I don't know that it would have been, uh, my choice if, if she hadn't, uh, uh, you know, have been so, uh, so, so forcefully for it. So, um, well, know, I have I, no I, wife, I, so I do whatever I want with my hair. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's sort of yeah, like, I, got like a Harley Quinn thing going on right now. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't expect that. It's, very <laughs> awesome. well, it's, it's only blonde because the pink is all washed up. So I have to go get it. I have seen wow. it through a variety of colors and lengths. <laughs> Even in the only we've known each other maybe five years, I've seen a yeah. variety of uh, of, yeah. of lengths Blue, and colors. Triple, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and much shorter, hasn't it been? Uh, no, it's, um, it's not a lot like, shorter. Yeah. Not a lot shorter, but yeah. Yeah. No, my I get bored easily. My wife <laughs> uh, jokingly says, or maybe not jokingly says, she has a Barney Miller fetish. <laughs> and, and I always say, you know, outside detective is a look I can pull off. Like it's, it's a, it's one that comes uh, very naturally to me. Well, we usually uh, like to wrap up by asking people where they can be found on the interwebs and uh, what they have coming up. And DJ, let's start with you. And I'm just like, thought we should just wrap up on Barney Miller fetish and just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> every episode we wrap up on Barney Miller. Um, yeah. No, uh, so, I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, you can find me online, just djkirkbride.com uh, or I think Facebook, you know, the DJ Kirkbride, Twitter, DJ Kirkbride, Instagram, DJ Kirkbride. I got, I'm all about my name. Um, and actually, one of the things I did uh, when we couldn't go to cons, I mean, in part just because I have a big a little apartment and lots of books I can't sell anymore. But um, I started a store in the uh, it's kind of like Etsy, like store and be online store where I just sell my comics, like signed. And it's just, you know, so you can go there too if, if you want to find any of my books and have me scribble on them or scribble a message. Just because, like, to me, I, I do like that connection. And that is something I'm really missing. You know, it's the closest I can get at the moment to handing people books. So, 
what's the what's where can the story be found? I'm sorry, I wasn't sure we no. heard that. No, I know I should. I'm like, I'm really bad at this because I was just like I should know the address. Uh, it's it's called store in it's DJ Kirkbride dot store envy. It's s t o r e n v y dot com. And cool. I just have all my books on there. You know, cover price or cheaper. Just just trying to do something. Just like you know, like like what totally. you got. What we're doing here. This is like our version of a panel. That's my version of my table. Just online. Sure. Well, I look forward to stopping by your actual table sometime sooner rather than later. I look forward to seeing you and all of you in person. Holly, it's nice virtually meeting you. I look forward to seeing you at a con, and uh, we'll we'll get back there. I you know yeah. I, don't, I don't know exactly when, but it's, you know I I miss it. I know we all miss it. And Holly, what do you what do you got coming up, and where can people find you? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram, or you know what, I have a different name for every. So I'm one of those horrible people who has not branded them branded themselves successfully yet so I, I totally have a different name for everything i'm on i'm on facebook um and twitter as junk story my instagram is metal i metal underscore i um I, my you know, my website is just hollyandjoandy.com well that's and, the easy uh, one yeah. we'll uh we'll, we'll have all the stuff in the show notes guys so if yeah. uh if you're listening or whatever yeah. uh, uh although i am increasingly just disgusted by twitter so i i only go on there to, like, <laughs> promote projects and 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 maybe give a shout out to a series i'm reading aside from that and, and did you just wrap up a series that you were writing am i remembering uh, that right? well on wednesday, on wednesday uh my my big creator owned uh book with black mask last song the last issue comes out on wednesday finally it's been oh, like okay. it's been like a, this, a, a 20 year ordeal so <laughs> that's kind of a big deal when this, is when this is live that will be today yeah yes. that comes out today in fact yes. that's last cool song is, and uh, yeah. Ryland, plug away. Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is uh, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T, all one word. Uh, I have to spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and sounded <laughs> with it, so now I have to spell it for you. Um, <clears throat> and also, we don't have our titles up, so normally uh, people watching on YouTube oh, can, uh, can see it, but they can't see it today. Um, my uh, comic books, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrants and the four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax are available in fine comic shops everywhere. Nice. And on Amazon. Oh, hey, there, there. oh, there it goes. Hey. <laughs> on an Amazon and Comixology and all that noise, uh, my latest and greatest comic fit gets comic shops uh, in August. It's called Suicide Jockeys. Uh, I should have plugged it at the beginning of the show, but I was so uh, wrapped up from my con outburst, my, uh, my Kirk-esque... <laughs> uh, Con our, uh, uh, outburst that uh, that I was rattled and forgot to uh, plug our books, but yeah, Suicide Jockeys uh, is a tokusatsu joint. It is essentially in a, in a nutshell, uh, uh, Voltron meets Fast and the Furious with uh, a big dollop of heart and soul. Uh, it is being released via Source Point Press in comic shop starting uh, August twenty fifth. You had me at tokusatsu. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> we're we're cooling it up. We are bringing uh, tokusatsu to the uh, the hungry American action movie fan, and it's fucking glorious. Um, uh, uh, you know, most fun I've ever had writing a book. So go out and get it. Uh, you can go down to your LCS right now and uh, pre-order that shit. So uh, put it on your pull list. It's going to be a ride. Um, and there are go watch my social media because they're going to be a ton of amazing like uh, uh, retailer exclusive variants. Uh, they're going to start uh, hitting out there from like big bad cool artists. Um, SourcePoint has like a really amazing retailer exclusive program, and and a retailer can sign up for their own variants. And uh, you know they're going to be twelve variants for the first uh, issue, and and wow. they're 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 awesome. 
uh, uh, some of them are really limited, like, you know, 50 copies or something like that. So it's not, you know, uh, but if you're a collector, uh, look for them, uh, look at my social media, I'll have all that stuff. Um, but uh, my, my Kickstarter books, my Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and my uh, Fargo S crime drama, The Peacekeepers, are, are, are still available via back. You have aids. You're so prepared. No, he's. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking well, if yeah. I could go back in time, <laughs> yeah. I'd rile it up right now. So this is smart. this is this is like this is the 40th episode or so. <laughs> for us, so 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 you know, I I I've fallen on my, I fell on my face about 27 times, and now I finally uh, wised up. But if you go to the jump two dot backerkit.com, the jump all one word and the number two, uh, you'll find those there. That's kind of my shop. Um, uh, you have the jump, you have the peacekeepers, you have uh, signed copies of Aberrant, of Banjax, uh, really rare con variants, all that stuff. Um, and the only thing I have left to say is Estrada, you did me wrong. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh, I think I, I told you, really I, I once cost him about $100,000. Did I ever tell you that story? That's why you two are friends. friends. Tell it again, please. He, was, he had been in an Andy Sedaris movie called yeah. Do or Die. I think he cost Andy between eighty or a hundred thousand dollars to be in this low budget, low, low, low budget movie. Mm-hmm. And when Andy hired me to ghostwrite and ghost direct the movie, the sequel, I said, "Well, first off, no Estrada." And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, Eric's great. You can't not have Eric, man. Eric's a big star. Eric's a big draw." And I said, "He's not. You're trapped in the '80s. I mean, this is only ninety-one, ninety-two, but I was like, really, he's not, man. I trust me on this. Not a big star." <laughs> And uh, and he's not he's just a giant lead weight that's costing you one hundred thousand dollars. And we argued about this. And then while we were arguing, the poster from the distributor for Do or Die showed up. And there were the two girls. The villain was Pat Morita, by the way, if you want to talk about the 80s. (laughs) Nice. There are the two girls and there's Pat Morita. There is no picture of Eric Estrada on the poster. And I just went. You're going to pay $100,000 for an actor whose face the distributor does not want on the poster because it makes the movie look cheap. I don't know. Playboy Playmates do not make the movie look cheap. (laughs) Pat Morita does not make the movie look cheap. And yet Eric Estrada, not on the poster, and he went, well, okay, you won that one. (laughs) So... So I mean, that, I don't know that million dollar smile, but no, there you but go. Yeah, so I, I kept the I kept the paycheck from uh, Eric Estrada. I don't I don't feel too bad about it. That's what he uh, gets. That's what he gets. I can be found on uh, the easy thing is I have a website, davidavalonefreelance.com. I used to be such an old man that I would say www in front of that <laughs> every time, and I am proud of the fact that I no longer say www. <laughs> Death. Um, so anyway, the website has branches off to all of the other things that I'm doing. Uh, what's coming up next, August 4th, Elvira meets Vincent Price. Yes. Drops. So fun. It was supposed oh to be God. a four-issue miniseries, and in that way that Dynamite always does, they called me up a couple of weeks ago and went, so five issues? Sure. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm getting very good at writing epilogues to four-issue <laughs> No, and it'll probably, in the fullness of time... Elvira's got a huge audience. Forget my influence. The uh, the comics sell better than most other dynamics. Well, but then you insert all these amazing, like, well, smart literary references in there, which is I do, I do what I can. And Vincent Price, uh, if you've missed Vincent Price, I like to think I have brought him back for you. 
um, his daughter has been reading the script and she's approved everything I've done. So that's oh, also cool. sort of a nice feeling. Very cool. But yeah. yeah, they were friends in the real world and it is delightful to, I, I've been suggesting to people go to YouTube and Google and, and search for Elvira Vincent Price and you'll see a number of talk show appearances and things and they are absolutely delightful together. <laughs> and I'm trying to recreate that. The joke title, the plot of the series is that the earth is going to be destroyed by a streaming video series uh, in which an ancient incantation will be read and an ancient Egyptian god will be brought back to life to destroy the earth. Uh, and he can be stopped if the uh, counter incantation is found and it only exists on a unreleased horror movie from 1971. <laughs> That's uh, very fun. <laughs> yeah, so the musical question is, can an unreleased horror movie from 1971 save the world? The joke, I always like to have a joke title. The joke title of this series is Raiders of the Lost Schlock. Uh, <laughs> Not to be confused with Inglorious Bastet, which was the other title. Uh, but check it out, August 1st, August 4th, excuse me, Fun and Games. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Holly and DJ. Really loved having you. And look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks so much. This is fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Cheers. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.